The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. Washington Post um, to get us ready for today's show. It's one of those one of those uh, pieces of music that just gets you uh, ready to go and march somewhere, isn't it, Your Excellency? <laughs> it certainly is. That's quite a change from the Mozart Requiem, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Although uh, but, perhaps but no, perhaps not. <laughs> the, the Mozart Requiem is very moving as well, and actually that wants to get you marching as towards God and the kingdom of God and away from hell. <laughs> Yes. Um, so even though we're, we're been stirred up a little bit with uh, with Washington Post, I know that knowing you, Your Excellency, you want to start with a prayer, uh, not a march. Yes. Yes. Let's uh, let, let's do that, and let's dedicate this prayer to Our Lady conceived without sin, the Immaculate Conception, who is the patroness of the United States of America with the intention of praying for the conversion of our country. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now the hour of our death. Amen. O Mary, conceived without sin, pray for us who have recourse to thee. In the name, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Good. Well, Your Excellency, you know, we were talking in the pre-show about, you know, what it means to be part of America. And I think before we get into sort of the bigger topics, I want to start with a small topic, which is, isn't part of America including everybody and and, uh, wanting to be part of things? We talk about um, uh, getting along. And Americans, you know, we're one of those get-along people. Um, what do you think it is about us as a people that makes us want to get along, quote-unquote, get along with others? I think there's a historical element to that, obviously human nature itself, but there's a historical element to that in our history as American Catholics. And there is um, a modern-day element to that, which would make good social commentary. That is to say that all of the social means that we enjoy for communication or entertainment uh, all are utilized today in order to uh, enforce that idea on us so that we will enforce the idea on ourselves. Go along to get along, though, is um, you could almost say it's a constant in um, American politics and also in American ecclesiastical politics and the behavior of our bishops and our prelates all the way through uh, 
but then you can't really limit it just to America. I mean, you have to see it. You'd have to see it in Rome, too. It's uh, it's if if it works, then it then it must be okay. And this is the best that we can do. Therefore, let's do that. That's in, in a way, it's 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 part of um, it's part of uh, the uh, the whole idea of uh, of diplomacy and the diplomacy really of many popes. But uh, you put your finger on it. That's that's sort of the American Catholic way is to go along to get along. And this kind of segues into our larger point today. We're taught as Catholics to love our country. And Mm -hmm. so a lot of people find a huge conflict between loving their country, loving their religion, and, and when they're told by their religion or by, let's say, ambassadors of their religion, like yourself, that there might be some issues with our country's founding or the entire system and by which our country is set up. I think they associate criticism of the way the country is set up with criticism of, let's say, the patria in and of itself, that by listening to you and, and listening to some of the things that you're trying to bring to light, that you're trying to, to question, that that means that, well, I'm questioning my country and I'm going to be a bad American, and I thought, as a Catholic, I'm, I'm not supposed to be that. And we have listeners from other countries. I hope, uh, again, as in the spirit of an American, uh, I'm not trying to exclude you from today's conversation. I'm sure that uh, that could be part of uh, the way that you're understanding it. But when Catholicism asks us to take a hard look at our country's um, issues, but that isn't in itself questioning the country. Uh, how, what, what, how has that been a challenge for you, York City? Because you face this a lot more than I have because you have a congregation, you have uh, people that you shepherd, so you have had this conversation far more frequently than I do. It, over the years, it, it certainly has been difficult because, uh, again, because of that idea of going along to get along, and because of the power of the media today. I mean, how many of how many of our Catholics, of our Catholics, are glued to Fox News Network and balanced and fair, and that's that's their gospel. They. Uh, they haven't read the social teaching of the church, and they're not interested in any commentary that would possibly shake the, the, the myths. The whole of the, can I just say that maybe the whole of the traditional movement rests on all of these unquestionable myths. Uh, in the, in the re- strictly religious sphere, there's the business about um, uh, the Pope as, uh, as dad, and then if he's a bad dad, then you really don't have to obey him and then there's a whole myth about quo primum and and um the fact that uh, the novus ordo they claim was never properly val- uh, established by law promulgated there's there there are those myths and then there are the all of these american myths and you're meant really just to to buy into them in an unquestioning way so as soon as you start to educate just catholics on some of the great principles of the day what is liberty and liberty of press or liberty of religion was condemned by the popes as insanity in the 19th century how can it be uh, the model for uh, our country and then uh, the the condemnation of um, if you start if you start to condemn the american empire and the american wars and all of the evil that represents the offense to god and the damage done to people, to souls. Again, there's a there's, there's a tremendous amount of conflict. Sometimes I, I've lost people in the parish over that. I've certainly lost a lot of goodwill. I'm sure over the years, people don't like to hear these things, and it's difficult to have any kind of a systematic 
formation or education approach that would that would hit everybody for a lot of reasons. It could be a really good sermon and somebody's not there that Sunday. Or people, when they listen to a sermon, they only hear what they, perhaps what they can hear, what they want to hear. Uh, so th- there isn't really any satisfactory way to do it except to keep on hammering on the same on the same beautiful Catholic truth that you can be a good American and love your patria, your homeland, and your, your country, your native land, and at the same time be a good, strong Catholic. Um, and I, I, would, I would maintain that um, today that, that, is, that is so important because what has happened to the Catholic Church in effect has been the Americanization of the Catholic Church since Vatican II. And um, and I say as an American and as a Catholic. And therefore, if we see what went wrong with America, we can see what is wrong with the conciliar church. I think that's a fascinating way to to look at it, Your Excellency. And I think you brought this out in other interviews and other conversations we've had. But it's a great opportunity now, especially as we're heading towards July 4th, which apparently is the day we celebrate barbecues, uh, that we'll... uh, we can take a look. I wanted to take a look at how this works through each aspect of, of history. And I thought I would just we'd go back to the very revolution itself mm-hmm. and start there and, and work our way forward and, uh, and to relate to what you just said. Mm-hmm. So if we look at the American Revolution in and of itself, the fact, it, 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 it's a settled matter now. But if mm-hmm. we were to look back at that time period, if, if we, you and I were Catholics, during the time of the revolution, how would we take a look at what it means to revolt against your king in terms of Catholic teaching and with the fact that he was a heretic and someone who had descended, or at least, I'm sorry, he hadn't descended from that, but he had taken, he hadn't descended from the line that had come down since Elizabeth where there was an excommunication. Um, what is what is a Catholic to do with uh, a monarchy that is working against, actively working against Catholicism and the idea of revolution, because that's at the very heart of the founding of America. Yes, and uh, not only are there are there strong principles of Catholic uh, social teaching which come into play here, but also there is perhaps the over overwhelming reality of the when this revolution took place and how that is to say it has to be seen it can't be understood except in the concept except in the context of freemasonry and free thinking and deism and all of these horrible isms that were so condemned by the catholic church so that the american uh, revolution becomes then sort of a mild version of what would take place uh, just a while later in the uh, French Revolution. So uh, in, in that sense, as a Catholic, of course, one would have to be horrified and one would have to abstain. Those are, that's along, along the lines of, uh, of principles. Of course, on the other hand, if you look at England <clears throat> and look at England's history, how could you make a claim for the legitimacy of the English monarch? From, from, from that, but then on the other hand, uh, King George was indeed the king, and he was accepted, and he was the monarch, he was the ruler. So uh, that's, that's, that's a very strong argument uh, for the maintenance of the, the Catholic maintenance of the um, status quo. 
it's, it's interesting that one of the uh, motives for the American Revolution was <clears throat> hatred of Catholicism. In, indeed, the, the, um, many of the revolutionaries, oh, the colonists, hoped to make common cause with the Canadians in revolt against the Quebec Act because the Quebec Act uh, uh, legalized and institutionalized uh, Catholicism for the first time in the British Empire because they had taken over Quebec from the French. And uh, this was popery, and this was the mass, and this was very, very offensive. And um, uh, curiously enough, the first American bishop made a diplomatic journey with, of all people, Ben Franklin, to uh, to Canada, to Quebec, to to attempt to enlist uh, their side in, uh, in in the revolt, and they were um, they were unsuccessful. Uh, it's a it's it was it's a fascinating it's a fascinating story from from all of the the elements that are involved. Uh, but one would have to have at least some understanding and appreciation of what Freemasonry is, and of the false principles of the uh, Enlightenment to be able to 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 begin to uh, to get into some of the theory here. So, at, at, in history, always you have at play the theory and uh, <clears throat> Catholic theory, the false theory, the theory of what, what the Church would call the sects, the Masonic groups, the secret societies, and then you have, on the other hand, the practice. Now, the practice is very interesting. What was the practical result of the American Revolution? The mass was freed, in a sense, that the, the, the persecution against the Church uh, came to an end, not all at once, <clears throat> but slowly and uh, bit by bit, uh, state or or colony by colony, uh, the church was granted her freedom. And so finally, the fruit of it is, in a sense, that Pius IX could say, nowhere am I more pope than in America. And the popes would look very benevolently upon upon uh, the, the United States. It's so fascinating that you mentioned the Quebec Act, actually, because that's never, that's never something that uh, most American Catholics are going to talk about, and they don't realize... Who was the person that helped, you know, with the Quebec Act? Well, first of all, it was a, a Protestant parliament, but King George III allowed it to be passed, yeah. and as you say, it, it, it freed the, the faith. Um, yeah. I think something else it did was it allowed the church to um, have tithes in, in the same way that we'd normally have, we'd see the, the tithe in Europe, where it was normally mandated by law. And this happened in the 17th... I'm sorry, go ahead. It became the established religion then, and then so then the priests were paid by the state, in this case, the English state. Yes. Right. And, uh, and this happened in 1774. <clears throat> so if I'm, a, if I'm a Catholic living in this time period where I'm, you could, if you want to even use this language, you know, fighting for Catholic rights, um, mm-hmm. in 1774, uh, my, my Magna Carta, my, you know, whatever, whatever word you want to use, uh, idiom, happened, and I was free, or at least I was more free. So when you look at that, I I always hear this sort of hazy, brave heart justification for the American Revolution, whether it be mm-hmm. taxes, yeah. which is the one great Ameri- sin against Americans, uh, mm-hmm. or uh, freedom, that this was the, the justification of the sort of the American Revolution, I find precious little in relation to the faith. So even if the ar- argument is, well, we're going to overthrow a tyrant, or we're fighting for freedom, I'll usually ask, well, but how is that related to Catholicism exactly? And I think you brought out some of those points quite well. Yes, as I say, history, history truly is fascinating. It truly is. 
So when we look at the revolution, and you say it's a mild version, it, it is it is really interesting to think, okay, well, in France, they had, you know, priests and nuns to murder. Whereas here in America, it was just those dirty red coats, and once we got over those, uh, then that, that was the end of it. But I think it's really important to repeat what you said, that this was simply a dress rehearsal for the French Revolution. And what on, on, it meant to have... I'm sorry, go ahead, Justin. Uh, on, on the one hand, that that is certainly true. It was a dress rehearsal for the and and a, and, a, and a mild form, sort of a vaccination, I suppose, so you don't come down with the whole thing. Um, on the other hand, uh, it soon developed into something else, which was, as I say, quite favorable to the church. So, in practical terms, so you have a Benedict Arnold who attempts to rally the colonists to the British side because of the respect, the, but the formal uh, acts of respect that were shown by the uh, revolutionary leaders, Washington, for example, and uh, by the Colonial Congress in assisting at Catholic services, for example, and forbidding uh, anti-Catholic uh, demonstrations or practices such as the Guy Fawkes Day forbidden by uh, by George Washington and each one of these each one of these was sort of a precious uh precious stepping stone to to freedom for the Catholic Church in America and the the church of course was deeply grateful for these things but because she was deeply grateful for these things then at the same time comes into play this idea of being accepted and acceptable, being grateful, and going along to get along. And then that sets us up for the whole, uh, for whatever, whatever you want to think about the American Revolution, so it sets us up for the whole tragedy of American history, uh, of, uh, of a, a mute, at the very best, a muted voice and compromised Catholic leadership almost from the start. But you also have to say, who was there to give the Catholic leadership at the at the beginning, at the era of the of the revolution? An incident uh, that I like to a story I like to tell is how Carroll, John Carroll, this ex Jesuit, the Jesuits were suppressed by then. How did Carole, Father John Carroll become the first bishop of the United States? Well, they needed a bishop particularly because of, of the revolution and uh, being cut off now from England and the, and the, and the, the vicars apostolic who took the, the, the bishops who took care of, uh, of the Catholics in England. They needed a bishop. And um, Rome was following this. Rome was informed about that. And Rome presumed, such, was, such were the, the church politics of the day, that Washington would appoint the bishop, just as the French king would appoint the bishop. And of all people, this is astounding, it was Benjamin Franklin that, that he wasn't even a deist, that, you know, that rake, that really immoral Freemason, anti-religious, everything. He was the one who said, well, no, we're not interested in appointing a bishop. You, 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 you're, you're your own show. You go ahead, you appoint your bishop. And that's how he got Bishop Carroll. Of course, he was actually elected by the... Uh, by the clergy, which was which was interesting at at the time. Of course, this was a, a very very difficult era for the church and for church history. But all of these things are part and parcel if we are to understand, uh, well, maybe the American Catholic experience down throughout the down throughout the decades. 
I think it's interesting to conceive of your idea as the gratefulness, the the overwhelming gratefulness leading to overwhelming uh, silence, or you could say being more mute in in resistance to some other things. And this goes to a fundamental error that I was taught growing up that because I grew up in the Novus Ordo Church wasn't refuted for me, which is, and, and, and we'll see this as we get, I think, further into our discussion about the correlations between what you started the show with, talking about the Americanization of the church, that the Novus Ordo religion goes along very well with the American religion, which is this idea of separation of church and state. I grew up thinking that that was good. I found out Archbishop Lefebvre grew up thinking that this was good. And he grew up in a a French Catholic family. So this has gone, this has flown over to the other side of the pond because it was secretly brought over here in the first place. But if you grow up thinking that way, it's because this is a holy belief, a dogma, that is given to us in our religious document, the Constitution, yeah. uh, which, which it, again, Americans don't consider this an odd notion that we swear an allegiance to a piece of paper as opposed to a king or to a pope, uh, something mm-hmm. that's, that's far more normal, but to, the, to ideas. We, we, we swear allegiance to ideas or we, we, we take our religious beliefs from our ideas. And I think a lot of times, Your Excellency, people don't realize these have the level of religious belief in them. That's why you, you say you've lost parishioners over the years because for people without admitting it to themselves or maybe without realizing it, they accept the religious belief of separation of church and state. Yes, they, if that, becomes a, that becomes a true doctrine. And that touches upon something that we've, we've spoken of a little bit already. This uh, uh, All diplomats are pragmatists. And the church, including the papacy, uh, has always had her share of diplomats. But there's the, but there's a strain in, in the American thinking or consciousness of pragmatism. If it works, it must be good. So that which uh, is, that which seems to be working pretty well, then becomes elevated to the level of a principle. So we go from practice and politics to an actual principle, and then the principle has to be explained and enshrined, as uh, the Jesuit theologian John Courtney Murray attempted to do, and actually did fairly well, he and others who are not so well named, during the course of Vatican II. So what has been the the American experience, going back to these Masonic uh, revolutionary ideals of the separation of church and state, then is proposed as a model for not only the whole world, either by means of guns and, and wars, American Empire wars, or by means of the, um, as you say, the exportation of American ideas across the pond back into uh, back into Europe, because this seems to work. This must be the best way, and so therefore, the Catholic doctrine as to how a state should be set up and uh, the social royalty of Jesus Christ, all of these things. Well, they don't even get lip service. I would be surprised if they even would get a footnote in uh, in, in a book, uh, and then that, that 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 sets the scene in a sense because of the American hegemony, the American Empire, for the whole church in effect to fall at Vatican II. That's that's got to be one of one of the, uh, the, the the main elements. So it's principle versus practice, the interplay of the two and the conflict between the two. You know, Your Excellency, that's something that, uh, again, we neglect 
if we look and say the, the Constitution is this religious document for us, and I think that um, I alluded to earlier that coming over from the Novus Ordo Church, there are things that I believed or I accepted without knowing that they were not Catholic. I always tell people there were doctrines I found out about when I came to the traditional Catholic faith that I didn't even know were doctrines. I, as you say, not even a footnote. And I think right. it's worth repeating here what was unique about the American political system, not only as regards Catholicism, but as regards religion in general, and why this setup, though it was beneficial to us, and as you say, it's sort of embedded in this gratefulness, that it's mm-hmm. actually part of a much larger poison as to what the role of government is in relation to religion. And I think for those, uh, we have, I'm sure we have Novus Ordo Catholics who listen to our show, and other people who aren't even Catholic who are just interested in perhaps what we, we want to say about um, American Catholicism, what teaching are we talking about here when we talk about the relationship of of church to state and particularly the role of Catholicism. So, so we're, we're touching upon um, the the truth that uh, the, the state is a, a perfect society in and of itself to promote its own natural goals, but that the state, this perfect society, needs to acknowledge the role of the other perfect society in God's plan, which is that of the church, and that. Uh, error has no rights. Error never has rights. And therefore, to enshrine a, a principle that everyone can choose exactly what he wants to, to do and to believe and to say is uh, folly. Is, or, as the Pope said in the 19th century, insanity. Uh, these, that, now, that proposal would shock most of our listeners, I'm sure. But it is the teaching of the Catholic Church. So we, we have to, if we're going to be Catholics, we have to know what the teaching of the Church is. And uh, then we, we, we view our history and our current dilemma and situation in the light of the, the, the sure Catholic doctrine, the social teaching concerning the Church and her rights and error, which has no rights. Yeah, error has no right to so um, fundamentally jangly against a country in which, uh, you know, I think within my first month of living in the United States, I heard that famous phrase, it's a free country for the first time. And so, you know, it's a free country. Uh, another famous phrase, you have a right to your opinion. Um, these are these are sacred. You're, you're attacking your excellency are our sacred ideas. Don't I have Indeed. a right to my opinion? Well, no, of course not. <laughs> what, a, what a foolish idea! <laughs> and it, so it's a whole different way of it's, it's a whole different way of thought. But that's the glory of Catholicism. It's a complete system. It is a it, it, she is indeed a perfect society. She can achieve without reference to anyone else all of her goals. And her goal is to get us to heaven, to to be a reflection of the kingdom of of, of God in heaven here upon earth to teach us truths that are divine truths of, of nature and of, and of revelation. That's, that's the role of the church. It's not to merely to be able to uh, function and to uh, do business and to be grateful for the um, opportunities that are given to us. You might say that uh, the Catholic Church in our country paid a very heavy price 
the price that was actually end up being paid now by the whole Catholic Church throughout the world, the Universal Church, for this freedom that was given to us. If I if I'm in a conversation with someone, and again, this is partly for our listeners uh, who who are who are having these conversations and or are trying to work through this themselves, because you know they they're coming to us of good, they're they're listening to you, they have goodwill, and they're trying to align their spirit and their thought with the church. If someone says, you know, I have a right to my opinion, and and you 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 mentioned, well, no, you don't. What's what's the vocabulary? What's the starting point? that might help us engage this with someone, or is it too far gone? Is it something that's maybe so deeply embedded we can't really have a rational conversation with someone about it? Well, on the one hand, you would say that, you see, right right away you you end up rubbing not only against the American myth, but also against ignorance and uh, the, the great myths of traditional Catholicism today. So if I say, well, the popes have taught that error, error has no rights, and that and that this idea of religious liberty is insanity. Well, right right away, uh, they'll they'll look at you blankly. They'll, they've never heard anything like that before, and they'll apply this very Enlightenment revolutionary Masonic principle to what you've just said, which is uh, private interpretation. Uh, well, in in my view, in my opinion. This, this, and this. They'll, they'll tell you that instead. So unless we agree on, Bishop Samuel is always good for, for 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 setting down that principle at the very start. Unless we agree on the principles, then uh, any other discussion is basically vain. It's almost wasted time. Uh, and that, but, but of course, that's our. That's why we have the show, and that's why the priests preach, and that's why they. That's why we we, we write, and that's why we attempt to uh, to teach to to uh, get across these Catholic principles, there, there'll never be a restoration until we actually know what we Catholics stand for, what we Catholics believe. And in, and in the light of this, that gives us, as I say, a way to understand what's happening today and what happened yesterday. Hmm. I think, as you say, it's in examining what that phrase means, that error has no rights, that we get right to the heart of the matter about what... Yes. what what actually what really matters and how that's not an opinion, that that's just a settled matter. Sure. With American Catholics, there's this dissonance that they're able to accept that the Eucharist is Jesus Christ. Yes, not mm-hmm. negotiable, not up for discussion. Mm-hmm. However, you know, you're entitled to believe otherwise or, you know, I respect your belief if you think otherwise instead of instead of saying, well, that, if you want to think that way, you know, I obviously can't stop you, but you're wrong. And the idea of confronting someone and saying, well, one of us is right and one of us is wrong. This is the larger infection that infects all of society. But in our discussion, we might say, you know, America was the leading apostle, the, the leading light of this, you're entitled to your own opinion. I don't, maybe not religion, but nostrum, that this is, this is the best way. And if you say that other people, if, if, if the idea is if it works, then it must be right, well, other countries have now seen it, and unfortunately, the infection has now spread to other places that would have never considered such a thing. Yes, I, I think you can make a correct talk about countries. You can make a correct distinction uh, historically between that principle as it obtains in our country. Uh, remember, one of the great, um, uh, along with go along to get along, another great American principle is 
be nice, something that a mother would tell her child. You be nice. Go out there and be nice. Well, we have this wonderful, strong American pull towards being nice. Uh, the French don't have that. They would just as soon chop off your head. Uh, and they don't believe that. The French never have believed error has any rights. You fall into a camp, and you stay in your camp, and, and it's a battle to the death for everybody else. That's the French way. Of course, France is, 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 of course, and let's be clear about this, that France is the seed ground of all of these horrible false teachings the work of, of, of masonry, uh, false philosophy, all, it all comes from France eventually, which revolted against uh, Jesus Christ its king and uh, re- refused him first in the person of the king, uh, Louis Fourteenth, refusing the sacred heart, and then finally revolted against him and chopped off his head. So France is... But the, but the, the American take on the, the French false philosophy is an interesting one because it's, uh, it's part of our personality, uh, a part of our natural character, if you will, the idea of Americans being, everybody knows that we're nice, and we are. We are nice people. That's probably why it's a lot easier to do business in America than, say, some other countries. <laughs> but uh, if, you, if, you make it into a, if you make it into a principle, then you end up in huge trouble. Oh, you have a right to your opinion, and you know, I'm sure you mean well, and you know, that's, this is just my opinion, after all. That's, that's where you get to the philosophical problems. And, of course, obviously, philosophy is going to be at the root of everything. I want to move us a bit forward in in history, Your Excellency, and and mm-hmm. we we have the revolution that has happened, and, and all of the earthquake, uh, philosophically and theologically, that comes from that. And again, some of it accords as a benefit to the church because she's allowed to grow freely without discrimination. But along with all the other weeds in the garden, you know, the eighth Church of Christ scientist or, or whatever else that's across the street. Mm-hmm. Right. That takes us to the war between the states, and we have the principle repeating itself that uh, I want to separate myself from a political union that it isn't permanent, and you have the the South leaving, and it, it's it's beyond the scope of today's show to talk about the war between the states philosophically, but I do want to explore the idea of the rise of quote-unquote, supporting the troops tied to being a good American and mm-hmm. as superior to being, a, let's say, a good Catholic or, or whatever other false religion um, that other Americans may be, may be part of. Um, when, they, when we look at what happened, we have the North uh, invading the South uh, because they possessed a, a moral superiority and they were going to change the South to fit their moral ideals. And, East, and and you have the battle hymn of the Republic and, and this religious narrative behind Abraham Lincoln. And we see this passed down to present day. A lot of people, I think, sometimes don't necessarily see the connection that the war between the states was the very first time that the United States invaded another country in order to uh, show its moral superiority and try to establish American, quote-unquote American political ideals. Fascinating part of this story that a lot of people don't know about is the fact that Jefferson Davis was was recognized by only one person in the whole world uh, as as a head of state, um, and that was Pius IX, who who had written yeah. two letters to His Excellency Jefferson Davis, and and what what the connection of what was happening to the South at the time with what was happening to the Papal State, vis-a-vis 
um, the, the Savoy and the quote-unquote unification of Italy. Can you talk a little bit about Pius IX, what was happening to the Papal States, and how that might connect to what was happening in the United States um, vis-à-vis the South? Yes, there was, there was a, uh, a very strong movement led by the secret societies for the establishment of what we call nation-states. Uh, that is to say, not a particular um, country that uh, it reflects um, who, who belongs to it, but the joining together, the forceful, forced, violent joining together, forging together of many individual countries, in effect, colonies or states in our country, and of kingdom duchies and so forth in the uh, in Italy, in the, uh, taken from the papal states into a new a new uh, a new country, a new idea, and this this new idea was um, in effect sort of a local empire, if you will, and uh, this. Because this is nothing at all to do with the empires that took place in the past, which respected each particular people and the language and the customs. Austro-Hungary, for example, which was a Catholic empire that had to be de- destroyed at uh, World War One, but it it's now forged together by means of these false principles, these anti-Christian principles that were that were denounced uh, by the Pope. So yes, in in a sense, you can see. You can see the, um, uh, the 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 similarity between the experience of the South and their desire to, to cleave to their way of life, and uh, the the experience of uh, the Pope losing his uh, losing his kingdom and the, the the proper liberty or freedom that came that came with it, how he had to be absorbed into this new. This new nation state. All, all, I wanted to say too, all sorts of evils come as a result of, um, particularly of, of of the Civil War. The Civil War was the was the first time that you really saw uh, the presidency morph or begin to transform itself into uh, the president becomes sort of a Pontifex Maximus, and mm-hmm. he's the high priest of of American civil religion. So. Um, Lincoln is, of course, um, a free thinker. It doesn't believe in God, and uh, absolutely holds to all of the uh, revolutionary uh, Masonic ideals. But uses cleverly scripture, or quotes that almost sound like scripture, like a paraphrase of scripture, to establish the White House, to establish Washington as a sort of a new sacred Rome, and he is the high priest. And uh, these are the goals, or this would be uh, democracy, say, or liberty. And these are the goals that we hold up, and these are sacred. And uh, uh, the Gettysburg Address, all of these things that we as children were innocently made to, uh, to memorize and to honor, are, are, really, are really the founding documents of a, of a new religion. It's the American civil religion. That that they've got to start almost almost right away, uh, but uh, it, it received its real impetus at, um, at at the Civil War and has only increased uh, ever ever since then. Uh, American civil religion. Uh, there's, there's a benign side to that. That's a general idea. Yes, well, we accept that there is a, that there is a God, but then if you actually try to 
define what does that mean. Are you going to end up with the uh, the, the God of, uh, of the Deist, the God of Jefferson, say, or of Washington, uh, or of Madison, or somehow a Christian God? Uh, well, that would be that. That's a disputed point, and if it's a disputed point, then we won't uh, we won't argue about it. We'll just go along with the the lowest common denominator. This vague, generic kind of uh, of an approach to religion. Uh, it's interesting, for example, to think about our own people might grumble because they've heard it enough, so they repeat it. Um, that, well, religion is banned from our schools. Well, uh, the bishops, to their credit, wanted religion to be banned from the schools. Bishop Archbishop Hughes of New York, first bishop of New York, uh, fought against that because he didn't want his children learning the King James scriptures and this vague American civil religion in a public school. He didn't want that. He wanted them to learn the Catholic faith. They would learn the Catholic faith in the Catholic Church or eventually in the in the church schools. Uh, so a lot of these Again, it's this idea of the tenets that we just automatically accept as Lincoln, a, a great saint, a hero, a holy man. Um, these wars, the Civil War, uh, the, the world wars of the, of the last century as being glorious and, and wonderful and holy. Those are all false. Those are all false. Uh, but truly a, a point of this program has to be that uh, that does not leave us un-American or anti-American, nor does it close the door to true patriotism for us. And for anyone who would doubt that His Excellency has a point about the American civil religion, I would invite you to, if you don't want to go to Washington, D.C., all you have to do is go on the Internet and pull up a picture of the Lincoln Memorial. Um, mm -hmm. If that isn't a religious monument uh, to the American civil religion, I, I really don't know, uh, I don't know what to tell you. Um, for those of you who are just joining us, you're listening to um, the, rest, the, the Restoration on the Restoration Radio Network, and my guest today is His Excellency Bishop Daniel Dole, and I'm, I'm Stephen Heiner, and we're discussing America and Catholicism as a broad issue, and specifically how it um, has influenced ideas that, that many Americans live with every day. I'm sorry, I interrupted you, Your Excellency, you were saying. Oh, not at all, but uh, speaking of, 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 the Lincoln, uh, of the Lincoln Monument, one thinks of the, the words of the Israelites when they made the golden calf. Here are your gods, O Israel, who took you out of, <laughs> out of slavery in the land of Egypt. And that's exactly the idea, isn't it? Lincoln is this great man who has taken the Americans and the, the Africans, the slaves, out of slavery and brought them into freedom, and that's the job of the president, that's the job of the, of, of the federal government, and that's what we're continuing to do. And now we're taking the same glorious American gospel of freedom and liberty, and we're forcing it at the end of a gun down the throats of all of these ignorant, unwashed uh, uh, Arabs of different types. Uh, that's, that's the whole tragedy. That's the tragedy of our history, the tragedy of our myth, and uh, the tragedy of um, current events. I, I think it's important here to, to note, Your Excellency, that when we talk about a Catholic alternative to these political actions that you're speaking of, oftentimes Americans immediately have to be binary about it and say, well, uh, in, in the paraphrase of George Bush, uh, paraphrase, unfortunately, arrogating from our Lord, if you're not with us, you're against us that yeah. if I'm not for these American wars, then I'm a pacifist. 
who's against them. And, and I think this is, again, a misunderstanding of the fact that not only is Catholicism so versatile that it can exist even within the most tyrannical of political structures, but that we have an entire um, philosophy to deal with the problem of war and that just war theory not only has not received any any fair play here in the United States in the modern era, but again, it dates back to the war between the states and, and this entire concept of of fighting for vagaries. And, you know, you'll hear today, it's like, oh, well, you know, in America, we never had wars over religion. And the problem is, well, you did, but the religion was, quote, unquote, freedom, whatever whatever that means. And and all of these people died for, for this. And when we think, what is the Catholic reaction to being taxed by the king? Well, it's not to create your own country. What is the Catholic reaction to the challenge of slavery. Well, it's not to have a war where 600,000 young men die. Slavery was peacefully ended in almost every other civilized country in the world, but not in the United States. We have some Catholicism. It was the popes who were the the single strongest voice against slavery far before the the Western Masonic governments uh, got on the bandwagon. Because it's uh, that, that was that was indeed the moral influence of, of of Catholicism, not only against slavery, but then at least for the alleviation of their of their living conditions. Um. I think this is again, you are simply because we don't believe in the city on a hill in this time and place. Because of Catholics, there's a bit of fatalism that whatever we build here won't last forever. But in the American civil religion, the city on a hill, dating back to to John Winthrop and, and that myth, that's something we can achieve here, and it's ultimately, essentially, extremely naturalist. And I think that's the tension on which the entire American civil religion is built. We can, we can do great things right now. Everything is naturalism, that uh, man, unaided, without any reference to Almighty God, to his son, to his plan, to revelation... Uh, can can achieve uh, all that he needs to achieve, and uh, that's probably a rehash of Pelagianism, and certainly of of, uh, of naturalism, and it's all, but it's all directed against uh, Jesus Christ, against our Lord, and against His Church, against the anointed of uh, of Almighty God. <clears throat> These are things, though, as I said, that had never been talked about, uh, and well, the just war theory. Are, are, are these wars just? Where you, where you look at the conditions, how could they possibly begin to be considered as, as being just wars? And then you look at the horrible things that have come as a result of it. You, at the very least, you have to say, as Our Lady did at Fatima, that wars are a punishment for sin. But then, but then far more from that, they are, uh, they are the, the means that hell uses to advance its goals. Uh, and what are what what are the goals? The goals of social change uh, abroad and at home, uh, the liberation of women, women's women's uh, dress, um, divorce. All of these things are highly promoted. Abortion by by the Ameri- the great American and world wars, and then um, the, the 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 goal finally of. Uh, because we have to be united against a common foe, the common foe that we maybe maybe we set up or at least encouraged, um, then then the, the the slide towards tyranny, the tyranny that perhaps everybody objects to, although maybe not everybody, because 
because of this this idea that everyone is whipped into a fervor by the go-along to get along by the American propaganda machine. Now, Your Excellency, some some might jump in here and say, but Your Excellency, aren't aren't we against Islam and and isn't uh, going into the Middle East against these uh, an attack on Islam? It's a re, it's a new crusade, and shouldn't you be encouraging some attack on Islam? Well, uh, the only the only successful attack on Islam, unfortunately, is that the Mohammedans become Americanized. What does that mean? The American they become Americanized. That is to say, they're totally cut adrift from all of their customs, from their religion, from their entire way of life, and they buy into the American dream. That is to say, consumerism, materialism, TV, pornography, uh, uh, all all the different modern-day liberations that you can possibly uh, dream of. So it's... um, it's dirty TV shows and rock music that represents that represents America, you know, in these countries that we have invaded, uh, and and of course these people these people just want to be left alone. Uh, they follow a false religion, I grant you, but we're not there to teach them the truth, nor could we even begin to teach them the truth, nor do we have anything to teach them about a natural way of life. They have their own they have their own customs and they have their own ways. The the a way that we impose upon them is the way of American consumerism, to be, to be part of the uh, to be part of this one world economy. That's what we want to force them to do, uh, and, and of course they're fighting. Uh, may I risk uh, everything at this point and say you have to think a little bit about Joan of Arc. Obviously, Almighty God hasn't raised up uh, Khomeini or, or uh, the Taliban. Certainly not. But there's a little bit that sense of Joan of Arc. And she was raised up by God to defend her homeland, uh, which she loved against the invading English. The invading English what? The invading English Empire. The English had no right to be there. And they, they had brought war and destruction that lasted decade after decade. And then God intervenes, and the, the, the maid of Orléans comes forth to to drive the foreigner out of the country and let, to let the French be French. You have to let the Arabs be Arabs. The church will conquer them. She, uh, she will conquer them in time. Uh, she will convert them. But uh, America doesn't preach conversion. Uh, well, they'll talk about conversion to the gospel of democracy. What America does is to not preach but practice and to practice corruption, the corruption of consumerism, this modern-day naturalism, so that anything that any little bit, I grant you maybe it's not much, that's to be found of good in the in the uh, Arab culture, in the Mohammedan culture, that's just destroyed. And then right destroyed right along with it, of course. Let's also say this. What has been one of the chief notable results of the American wars, the Bush Wars, um, against the Middle East. It's been been the utter destruction of the uh, Christian minority in all of these countries. We see it again happening with the movement of the so-called Friends of Syria. We see it again in Syria today. They're gone. They have to leave. Uh, the the the, uh, the Catholics as well as the uh, as the Sismatics or the Orthodox they can't stay there anymore they're driven out by this 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 is and I can't believe that this is merely collateral damage I have to I have to think that somebody gave the matter some thought so the entire Middle East 
is now is now losing uh, a, a Christian population. That's the effect of our wars. That and this corruption that comes with it. Well, Your Excellency, I think you certainly wouldn't be allowed on Fox News with opinions like that. You think? <laughs> <laughs> and there are a lot of people saying I shouldn't even be allowed in the pulpit. But, and, and every now and again, I, especially around the Feast of Christ the King and, and in the election year, I'll give in to the temptation to speak about these things. But um, uh, as I say, most of our people even can't can't begin to understand these these principles. But I wish people would turn off Fox News. I wish they would turn off the radio. I wish they would pick up an article, listen to one of the radio shows on Catholic Restoration. Um, I wish they would get a hold of maybe Father Fahey. It just Fahey is a kind of a wonderful book. You just open it anywhere you want to, and you could you can read and learn something, uh, learn something about the organized forces of naturalism and the, the social teaching of the Catholic Church. Um, there's something that we haven't spoken of so far, and it is um, it's the key, Stephen, to our Catholic patriotism. Uh, and it's uh, we've spoken a lot in this in this show about um, uh, the, the the practical. Well, what can be done? And, and this seemed to have worked. This idea of religious liberty and the rest of it. So therefore, it must be good. So let's just to stay with this. There's a very practical Catholic principle from uh, uh, the, the natural law and the church's uh, social teaching, and uh, that it is that of subsidiarity. Some people today speak about that. They, they even they held some conferences, I think, in Washington D.C. to promote the idea. Um, it holds that, uh, and this is Catholic social teaching that all social and governing functions should be implemented implemented at the most local level possible. So if you want to organize, you want to do something, then uh, you, you do it at the local level because uh, that's, God loves a place. He loves maybe Westchester, Ohio. He loves uh, Kansas City. Uh, he loves the Ohio Valley. He loves the Loire Valley in France. He loves uh, Savoy. He loves these local places with their, their ways, what's left of them, their customs, their language, their speech, their way of life, provided that it not be opposed to, to, to God's law. He loves these things. And we should love our own native land, that is to say, right where we are, right where we live. And uh, just as... Um, uh, just as Joan of Arc did, it was raised up by God to do, we could do, and there, there, I, I think there are some political type, but really more social teaching type organizations today that, that, that try to promote that. So the idea is a little bit, well, you, you worry about the, uh, the local politics, worry about the dog catcher, worry about the sheriff, worry about the county executives. Uh, that's where, where you might be able to have some influence, and you might be able to uh, to do something good, um, I see uh, the same principle of subsidiarity in our approach. That when I say our, I mean that of the Sedevacantis throughout the world. God knows we're not united. There isn't any one empire organization uh, like Pius X Society or one of the Indult groups, a world, a strong worldwide group which in effect forms its own kind of a religion or its own kind of a church. We don't have that, 
And I think that we're not, people lament it, but I think it's that same principle of subsidiarity. We're meant to work on a local level. Do the good that you can do. Uh, teach your people, practice your faith, worship Almighty God, live a Catholic lifestyle and not a pagan, consumerist, Americanist one. Um, do so, and, and, and if you do that, you've done enough. Of course, worry about your neighbor, worry about the missions, the propagation of the faith, all of these things. But the idea that we have to somehow go out and create these empires, I think the era of empires is past, and uh, that's not a model for us. And the larger the organization, this is true in American politics, it's also true in traditionalist Catholic politics, the larger the organization, the more uh, it will be subject to infiltration and domination. The smaller the organization and the stronger the adherence to Catholic principle as as, as the one truth, then the, the stronger the chances are that this um, infiltration will not take place with the tragedy of a Pius X society, uh, which always had to consider Rome and, and politics and uh, benefactors and money uh, and buildings and maintenance. That, that's not ours, nor, nor should it be ours. But you see, this is how we can be good, strong Catholics, and this is how we can be strong, patriotic Americans uh, in, 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 the, in the application of this one principle. No, I, I, there's so many different uh, paths that you can take here, Your Excellency. I think I'll start with the, the smaller path that you've invited me to take. The idea of, of small is beautiful as, as a concept that 80% of the, the laws we live under, I think I've heard the statistic, are local and state laws. And that these are where the real battles are. But a lot of Catholics, uh, American Catholics, get pulled into the big national debate you know, so they'll vote for the Republicans because the Republicans will vow to end abortion. And then they nominate right. Supreme Court justices who do nothing of the sort. Um, or, uh, and that, this is something, too, we might, we might get into in a moment, not, not, a, not this precise time, but the whole idea of you know, being Republican as being Catholic. But when we think about that, that small effort, I think you really hit the nail on the head by saying that that's really the Catholic spirit, uh, not fatalistic in the sense that, look, we can make the biggest impact starting from the ground up. If we think of uh, Edmund Burke's little platoon in a Catholic sense, that it, if you and your local municipality or you and your parish, you guys do great things, then suddenly, you know, the city will start doing great things, and suddenly the state will start doing great things, and suddenly your country will start doing great things. So that's really the only place where you can make change. And I think we ignore it because, Your Excellency, it goes back to the fact that this means it's about personal responsibility. It's not about fighting for some giant national pro-life cause or some giant, you know, national political campaign, uh, which is all about abstraction. This is all about the reality of, well, if you want something to change in your local municipality, you're going to have to do something about it personally. And it isn't just sending my money in an envelope to this big campaign that will help do something, but you're actually going to have to do some work. And ultimately, that's where the long-standing change is going to, to work anyway, is with people being involved at the small level. I, I think about it in, in reference to what you have going on at St. Gertrude's, is that if, if people want devotion, if, they, if they're going to say that they want devotion, they're actually going to have to show up at 2 a.m. when no one else wants to sign up 
for adoration. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't just ask for adoration and then say, well, someone else will show up at 2 a.m. i got to get some sleep. You can't ask for the big idea and then not have the personal responsibility. And I think that's, unfortunately, it's, a, it's an attraction for some Catholics that they get drawn to the big idea and they ignore what's happening right there. You know, they'll, they'll go on to Catholic, traditional Catholic forums and they'll spend hours and hours and they'll watch Fox News, hours and hours. But, uh, you know, stop by for an extra devotion during the week. Uh, stop by for one mass outside of Sunday. These are bridges too far for them. Yes, because that's because their their souls are are in the hold of naturalism. They don't even know what it is. They couldn't define it for you. But that's the that's the practical truth. And of course, that's that's the appeal. The naturalism is what is part of what exercises that appeal. You get involved in these movements. You look to a totalitarian government, a big strong central government that's going to do the good and uproot the evil. And you don't have to do so much. You just let them take care of it. The nanny state, as they say. And as I say, I make a I make a comparison between that and the whole situation of the, uh, of, the of the traditional movement today. And it's the same thing. The beauty of this whole approach is that, number one, it's true, and secondly, how encouraging it is to do the good that we can do. You you brought up that the business about prayer, how important that is, that we should indeed pray for our land, that we should pray for the, the, the freedom and exaltation of Holy Mother Church, that we should pray for some modicum of peace. Uh, uh, those, those are, and we can. We have these wonderful weapons that we barely want to use. But uh, once we start, it's sort of like stumbling upon a treasure box in an attic. There are all these supernatural means that we have at our disposal. And then there's the truth. There's this clear, limpid line of Catholic social teaching, the teaching of the popes, that ought to inform our ideas about politics, about economics, about history, about the different philosophical notions. Uh, that's our treasure. Well, let's let's go up into the attic and let's get these things out. But then that's difficult. That's work. You've got to turn the TV off, turn the radio off, get off the computer, except maybe to look up these documents and read them there, which you well could. Um, and you have to start reading. You have to start thinking, maybe talking. And then maybe little groups might form, subsidiarity again, of, of those who would get together and discuss these things. That's how... Uh, that's how the, the faith, that's how the truth is going to be passed on. And and who knows, you know, uh, it, it may be, as the prophet said of old, it may be that, that God will have mercy upon us, even at this very late date in our in our age and time and place, if we start to do what's right. If we think about how the movements have progressed, we talked about this sort of apotheosis around the the war between the states where, where Lincoln became the head of the... I think you made a, a very astute observation, the Pontifex Maximus of the American state, which has been passed down. The imperial presidency has been passed down to this to this day. That that only only the most ambitious of Roman emperors could have dreamed of the unlimited power of the American presidency. For, for the the idea, I mean, this this uh, this man uh, guarded the most guarded, uh, the most powerful man uh, on the planet. Uh, that anyone would have thought that this would have sprung from a republic is perhaps the exact idea of this is where republics end, or this is where republics take you. Republics take you to Julius Caesar. Uh, yes, you, you can you can you can say whatever you like. Uh, 
we as Catholics we we don't want to overreach. How, how can I put this? If that is the enshrining of Lincoln as the Pontifex Maximus, the, the the Tea Party movement that that would argue that government is evil, that also doesn't represent Catholic teaching. The Catholic Church doesn't teach that government is evil. This is also again a received notion of American conservatism, which is sometimes overlap consciously or unconsciously with American Catholicism, that the two are one and the same. And this is a fundamental break. Again, Your Excellency, and again, I'm asking you to teach our audience who may not know otherwise, um, is is government evil? Is that what the church teaches? And is no, that a, the, and, you know, a good American supposed to believe the government's evil and a good Catholic supposed to believe the government is evil? No, the, uh, as I say, the church teaches that there are two perfect societies and the state is a... Um, Perfect society, and as part of the society, there must be there must be laws, there must be order, there must be a hierarchy of authority, and there must be sanctions or punishments for those who violate the laws. And all of this entails uh, a certain amount of of structure. Uh, and, and these are good things. These are natural things. These are meant to be. But this idea has to be informed by. The other Catholic principle is the one we've been speaking about a little bit today, that is to say this principle of subsidiarity. That is to say that the idea of, of, a, of a great um, American empire, uh, uh, a very strong tyrannical federal government, which will constantly be making new laws and constantly be uh, interfering in even the smallest details of, of daily life, and take away what are real, truly your rights and your own human dignity, the child of God. Well, that's opposed. So, but uh, see, that's that's the American trouble, isn't it? Um, it's like talking to Novus Ordo people too. If you're not informed by Catholic principles, or even by the principles of the natural law, um, then how can you begin, even express an opinion? How can you how can you discuss this? You you just you went maybe you go from one extreme to another. And you, you never really hit the Catholic mean, the Catholic golden mean. Uh, but that's, we, we know about these things, so it's our job to teach them. So no, the, the, the Tea Party movement doesn't, uh, doesn't ex- express uh, Catholic concepts, not necessarily. Maybe in, in this or that particular point, yes, I grant you, but, but not in general, no. The whole, well, we, just can't we, we, we just can't make anyone happy, Your Excellency, can't we? <laughs> And, and you know that's a great truth too that we must never forget the uh, that that we are that we are truly poor, banished children of Eve. That this really is a veil of tears. Um, and as we're as we're talking about the uh, the Catholic ideal, maybe the Catholic ideal for government, Catholic history, and the rest of it. When were things perfect? Why even in even in the the greatest of centuries, the 12th century, the 13th century. Oh no, things were very, very far from perfect. Even in nations which had the consecrated king, uh, one thinks of France, uh, things were indeed far from perfect and, and indeed a whole heretical system, or at least a mindset, dominated that Catholic, that Catholic country for centuries under this Catholic monarchy and great corruption as well. Uh, that's, that's an important truth too. Uh, again, Hang on to the Catholic principles. Hang on to ca- uh, the Catholic truth. That will 
that will give you the epistemology or the means to understand, to sort out everything that you hear, that you come across. Um, but hang on to to the uh, hang on to to the saints, uh, to the to the glorious exceptions of Saint Louis, the King of France. Uh, monarchy, I like to say, only only works if you have a saint for a king. Just oh. as the uh, uh, and far more so than for the church, a, a, a pope can be in his own personal life far from a saint and still be a gloriously reigning Catholic pope, which is tremendous good for the church and for the world. But uh, for the king, he's got to be a saint. He has to take his consecration with the chrism seriously. Uh, and his in his role, and there have been very, very few, and most of them are canonized because it's such a it's such a rare exception uh, to 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 the norm. So the church has, um, and see, this is what we started talking about at the beginning of the show. This is part of, I think, this is part of the um, the pull that the church, say the hierarchy, may have felt at the very beginning of our country, and certainly throughout the nineteenth uh, century. Um, that you look over in Europe and you've got all these supposedly Catholic monarchs who uh, had persecuted the church, uh, who had Masonic, Masonic ministers. Think of St. Alphonsus and all that he suffered his whole life long to try to do a little good and to found a missionary congregation uh, because, of, because of Masonic ministers of a Catholic monarch, uh, the, the, the King of Naples. Um, and then as opposed to the relative liberty that was afforded to Americans, uh, to the American Catholic Church, but at a price, but at a price. So that that, that leads us back to this, uh, the reality of imperfection, uh, human nature, original sin. And then what does that throw us on? That throws us on a desire for heaven, to be uh, somehow, to be loosed of, of these earthly bonds and a real uh, nostalgia, a real yearning for the, the the patria the true patria that we sing about uh, in at benediction Saint Thomas Aquinas the, the the heavenly homeland all of these imperfections that we that we meet with uh, in current events and in history all the ignorance myths and misunderstandings that should give us a homesickness for the only true patria that should unite all Catholics throughout the world that is to say heavenly glory. If I may, if I may uh, paraphrase part of what I think you said, Your Excellency, is that part of Catholicism is striving, is say going for sainthood, striving for perfection, uh, but knowing that you may not reach it. Whereas the yeah. naturalist endeavor, which is informing a lot of these sort of American attitudes and actions, is striving for perfection because you think you can achieve it oh, with yeah, or without very God. Much so, yeah. <clears throat> and then if you can't achieve it, uh, start a petition. Talk to your senator and get a law passed. So, you know, this American way, whenever a tragedy occurs, the American response is, we need a new law. Okay, let's get, you know, Megan's law or whoever law passed, and this will memorialize this poor little victim of something or another. And if we get enough laws passed, the federal government is just, and all, there is a choke, whatever little life is left of the American way of life, and including the, the liberty for the, for the Catholic Church, you can see, you can see what's coming, uh, uh, just maybe just right around the bend what's going to be coming for us, what, what, what the fruit of this, of this attitude will be. But um, see that, maybe that was the choice that they, they made, or maybe the, 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 the Catholic bishops in the 19th century 
didn't feel they were even presented with a choice. But um, that is to say that we would do better in a compromised country than with open persecution. But the popes never looked at it that way. The popes always, uh, and the saints have always, uh, and the great Catholics have always uh, taught that um, it's in times of persecution that the church really thrives. And we may, yeah, as they yeah. say, we may end up with that. And I think, again, you're actually, you brought home just yet another point that you brought up, again, in the beginning, which was this idea of America's religion. And I'm, I think of the quote of Chesterton in which he says, you know, when people cease to believe in God, they don't believe in, in nothing, they believe in anything. Yeah. And that Americans are a deeply religious people, but they don't realize they're religious about the American religion. And when you talk yeah. about this tragedy... I think about the American civil religion response to the bombing in Boston is to get T-shirts printed that say Boston Strong, and they're going to get bracelets that say Boston Strong, and I'm sure we're going to see T-shirts that say Oklahoma Strong, and getting the law passed. This would be, let's say, the Catholic equivalent of uh, a new feast, uh, establishing a new right. procession. Um, they're going to make sure that their religion, the American civil religion, the American experiment, the indispensable nation, must be preserved. And if we have to do that by laws, if we have to do that by wearing T-shirts, uh, then we're going to do it. And if the, you know, the Catholic response is not to get a T-shirt printed and say Boston Strong. The idea is to examine what were the motivations of the bombers, the potentially Islamic, that there's a, a bigger problem with the Islamic religion, I should be invited to study it if I don't know it, pray for the victims, and and take a look at the, the sort of bigger picture. This oh, grates yeah, against the American ideal because there's no action, Your Excellency, but I think this is the problem. Prayer is not seen as action. It's seen Prayer as very study. passive. Yes, right. Yes, right. But, uh, but here, well, that takes you back maybe to the ideal of uh, the American ideal of liberty as, as opposed to a true liberty. Uh, liberty is, is, is the right to do what is right, period. God has given us that right. And we ought, we Americans really ought to unshackle our minds. You talk about the, America, the, um, the, the, the Boston Massacre. Well, what, truly study it. What was really behind it? What's the truth? Can you believe what you're told in the media, what the government tells you? Uh, think about that. Th those are all questions that, that truly need to be asked. The only other thing you didn't mention about the marathon, um, and see how the enemy is always, is always profiting from these things, is that, well, then we have to get out and support the marathon. So when do marathons usually occur? Not on a weekday afternoon. They occur on Sunday morning. Sunday. The same Sundays. Sundays, the same as all of the, the great sacred sports events to which our children and our families are beholden, and artistic events, too. It's, it's understood. Sunday, because that's, this is the new religion, this is the, the new church, uh, artistic or cultural events, but particularly sporting events, Sunday morning. So let's get out and run on a Sunday morning and support uh, the American right to run, I guess, on Sunday, something like that. <laughs> and this, this is going to be an excellent way to to save ourselves from the Islamic threat. The Islamic threat that, that maybe, as they say, maybe came about simply because of these poor people being tired of, being, of having all the foreigners in their land trying to take their own culture, custom, and religion away from them. And again, all of these events are being brought to you by, by Fox News. 
Your Excellency, and, and that we brought that up earlier. I suppose we've already... How, how can I put this? We might have already lost the argument with these Catholics because they have a television in their home and they're watching it, or it's an active yeah. part of their life as opposed to, let's say, using it for movies or, or something like that, but that they actually have a television on, unfiltered. We might have already lost the argument with them about television in general, but, but let's, let's, go, let's go past that. All right, assuming we've lost the argument about having television in your house, mm-hmm. why, why is Fox News being on it? Take on Fox News, CNN, whatever it might be. Why is that not the answer? What is, what is the problem there, Your Excellency? What do, you, what do you think is the problem for a person who is, is making this a vital part of their life in regards to Catholicism? Well, the, the the problem is that um, that the, the the see your average traditional Catholic then who is going to be listening to this stuff all day every day. Oh, there's lots of problems with it. <clears throat> this idea of of news and you've got to always get the news. You've got to be connected. All that serves as a means to pull you in to that to the screen. It pulls you into that network, and then it, that um, amplifies the. Uh, their, their, the natural response of go along to get along. This is this this is your truth. It's, it's also propaganda. You're listening to it again and again. That which was um, proposed by uh, fiction writers, think of 1984, works of that ilk, as a, as a horrific future for the world, is a reality in America. And, and no one has to force you to do that. That which is um, imposed by the government the communist government in North Korea, that is to say the, 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 the speaker and the screen inside every home, that they, they have no way of being able to turn off. Uh, they have to just listen all day long uh, from morning to night. Uh, we do freely. We freely do chain ourselves. Um, then you'd have to, so you have to slip out of these chains somehow, and you'd have to start, well, really all you'd have to do is just, just pray. If you, if you started to pray for all of these needs and all of these causes, and then maybe the prayer would lead to a little bit of spiritual reading, and then maybe, and then our Lord would take care of you. You'd, you'd get some way of finding out what, maybe some of, some of the truth. Maybe you might hear it in church. Maybe you might come across an article or a reprint. Uh, or maybe you might start to use the, a screen or the internet for something good, because there's an awful lot of good that's available there. So, um, you have to slip out of the chains, and you have to you have to do something in the spiritual order. And if you do, uh, then I think you have struck a blow against naturalism and against the slavery of the spirit of the mind that uh, that the whole American system today um, reinforces. It, it, that's that, that's the only way it survives, and it's to make us slaves. And if we, if we refuse that slavery and stay rather with the dignity of the children of God, then, um, then this, what they talk about on the 4th of July is ours. That's our reality. That's, that's a true freedom. That's a true liberty. And that's all we could ever ask or, or aspire for. But not if you're a slave. Not if you're the, a slave to the screen or to the electronic voice. You know, Your Excellency, then some some people might say, you know, well, well, thanks, Your Excellency. We we are going to have a perfectly fine July Fourth next week and have a barbecue. And now you've completely <laughs> ruined our national holiday. What are what are we to, what are we to celebrate on July Fourth? If you don't want us to celebrate America, or as it's more colloquially, America, 
what are what are we supposed to uh, celebrate on July Fourth? If you've taken all of this from us. Oh, there's plenty to celebrate. First of all, let's watch out for the name. Some I was misusing it. Someone pointed that out to me that the uh, the Fourth of July, uh, historically, has a, a true revolutionary, think Masonic, uh, connotation. We want to refer to it as Independence Day. That was the old title for it, anyway. Uh, so let's call it Independence Day, and let's uh, celebrate uh, our own country. That is to say, our homeland where we were born, our, our language, our customs, our land, uh, all of the good natural virtues uh, that uh, that go to make up the American character. Let's celebrate the fact that for all of our faults, we still do have our churches open and our schools and the airwaves open to us, and, and therefore we truly enjoy some measure of a true freedom in this country, I grant you, it's being diminished every day, but nevertheless, it is ours. So let's try to rediscover uh, patriotism as a true Catholic virtue, this love of your place, this love of your land, not a love of an empire, and not a love of all of this uh, propaganda, but the love of place and of land. So there's plenty which is distinctly American, which is... Um, Oh, I will go so far, and I've traveled a, a bit myself. I would go so far as to say uh, it's glorious, and it's it's wonderful, and it has produced great fruit for Almighty God, the, you know, the American character, the niceness. That there's a good, obviously, there's a very good part to the niceness, and uh, the the certain the certain humility uh, that, that that's part of a good American character, uh, a certain desire for. In a good sense, to go along, to get along, to, to produce a common, a common good. Uh, there are there are many good qualities to the character of an American, uh, which can indeed be be celebrated. What else do you celebrate? The protection of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Say a rosary on on Independence Day. Sure, have a barbecue and, and enjoy a party, of course, uh, and, and love your country. But uh, say a rosary for her, and and make at least the promise that. Oh yeah, I'm gonna maybe I'll, I'll listen to something else on Restoration Radio. Maybe I'll, I'll look up somebody in Bishop Dolan, Bishop Sanborn, Father Chicada, somebody's sermons or some of their writings. Maybe I'll inform myself a little bit about these things, and maybe you know after the beer and the brats have been served, maybe we could talk about some of these things. Well, I think those are the, I think those are all good ideas, and thanks for the plug, Your Excellency. You're very uh, welcome. You know, when I think about uh, one of the things I, I enjoy about uh, chatting with you and, and with, with Bishop Sanborn and Father Chicada and all the, the clergy we're, we're very pleased to have on is um, you, you, you put things into really important capsules. And I don't think I'm going to say this the exact way that Bishop Sanborn said it because I can't remember, but I want to go back to a trope you introduced in the beginning of the show, which was the, the link of Vatican II and the Novus Ordo to America. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. His Excellency was making a specific link with John Courtney Murray. Before we get to maybe religious liberty and that issue, can we talk about maybe the broader issue? How can you say that America is related to Vatican II, related to the Novus Ordo? What what is the connection there? The um, what what they call, and it's a horrific concept, of course, but they call the American experiment. 
was at Vatican II, this, which is in, in effect the fruits of the, uh, the false enlightenment and the work of mason, masonry and naturalism, the organized forces of naturalism, all of that experience was imported into the Catholic Church at Vatican II, which was its French Revolution uh, or American Revolution, if you more so an American Revolution than a French one, but the ideals truly are the ideals, the naked ideals of the American a revolution of liberty and, and, and equality and fraternity. Um, so, in, in effect, it was a total betrayal of everything that the Catholic Church stands for. So, so now there's going to be there's going to be freedom of religion for everybody, and there's going to be great respect. And if you really make a big fuss, uh, we won't preach to you anymore. For example, like if you're a Jew, well, you have a dispensation somehow. And we're not going to preach to you the, the, the liberating gospel of Jesus Christ. We won't. We won't, we, won't, uh, we won't dare, because you've made a fuss against it. And uh, so we're going to respect that. And it's only if you were sort of vaguely wandering around with no religion, and maybe you might be interested in having one, that we will invite you to our RCIA courses, and you can learn about ours. But um, the American religious uh, experiment, the American civil experiment, was was taken into the church at Vatican II. That's the work of Vatican II. Well, it, I know I know it looks like we're piling on your excellency <laughs> because you know you we we've talked about all the issues, and I think it's it, important to note that I think you would say this, and I would say that I'm I'm an American who who loves my country, but I think mm-hmm. that that love goes back again. The, the tragedy in English of only having one word for love, I love tickles, I love my mother, uh, I love Our Lady, um, mm-hmm. that when we think about love in English, in the English idiom, you don't normally think of the word charity. And that, mm-hmm. and that true love means, you know, you could call it speaking truth to power, but it's also being honest about things that aren't right. And that love oh, yeah. doesn't paper that over. Love takes a real examination of that. When yeah, you say... That, that that you know America uh, helped to prove or helped to pave the way for Vatican II, then we have to say, well, that's why perhaps the Novus Ordo religion is so um, so well established here. I think it's it's faded so quickly in in other countries. Let's say you know I, you and I have been to, to Europe and and uh, I, I have been to churches. Uh, because I was still in the Novus Ordo when I was visiting Europe for the first time, where it's empty. It's, it's me, some other young people, and, and a bunch of ladies over the age of 80 in, yeah. inside the, the Novus Ordo church. Mm-hmm. And the reason I think perhaps that it faded so quickly was because it was so different from the European ideals of the church and state intertwined working towards a unified goal. But here yeah. in America, the Novus Ordo fits very well because it's go along to get along, we can have ecumenical services, you can use our church uh, for your Hanukkah service, as uh, uh, Bergoglio so graciously, I suppose, did allow Hanukkah mm-hmm. services within his uh, his uh, archdiocese. That the Novus Ordo is a, a a very good fit for the American civil religion. Absolutely, it's a, it's it, it becomes sort of a, a component. So we'll line up on stage with the rabbi and the imam and the local ministers uh, when there's some kind of a national tragedy. And we'll all mouth the same pieties about about respect and uh, uh, respect for everybody's beliefs, and uh, you know we're all we're all part of this 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 great American scene. So the the American the American 
the American religious mentality, the American mentality itself, gives gives itself to this American civil religion, and that's 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 why um, the 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 Novus Ordo does so well in this country. It's sort of the sprinkling of if they if they hadn't used holy water, it would be the sprinkling of holy water over a whole way of life. You can't like reduce religion just to ideals or even just to principles. It's a way of life. It has to be lived. It has to be worshipped. Um, it has to be uh, practiced in daily life. Um, and and that's what the Novus Ordo does. That, and that's why it just it fits hand in glove with this respectability. What we spoke of at the beginning of the show about the go along, the get along, this terrific pull which we all experience in the United States, uh, because how can you totally separate yourself from the, the culture that surrounds you? You can't. So you feel a pull just to, to go along. Uh, it's getting worse and worse, and you know it's getting worse and worse. And sometimes you've got to feel like you're a lemming, and you're just going to line up and jump off the cliff sooner or later because <laughs> everybody else is. Uh, that's, that's, the American, uh, that's the American way. Go along to get along. Line up on the cliff. Uh, and if you don't, if you if you cry out, don't. Uh, this is crazy. The emperor has no clothes. You are the radical. You are the revolutionary. You really don't fit in. What's the matter with you? So we always try to create our own little um, our own <clears throat> little islands of relative respectability. And we and um, like the Jews in the Warsaw Ghetto, uh, we police ourselves. They don't have to, the Nazis don't have to do it for us. We police ourselves, and we actually do a pretty good job. You have big organizations that do that now for traditional Catholics, like the adult movements and the Pius X Society. But there's there's something in us that makes us want to just go along. And so if we're going to take our standards from, again, Fox News or CNN or, or the, the great electronic voice. We will. We, we'll do those things. Um, and we'll try not to... Not, not to make trouble and step out of line, and we'll try to just sort of go along with things because we're nice and we're Americans. And to that point, Your Excellency, as people listen to the show and, and maybe recognize all of the behaviors that we've described and realize mm-hmm. that it's really based on something false, it's based on something natural, it's, it's based on something ultimately anti-Catholic. Oh, yes. That they don't need to they don't need to hate themselves when they get the instinct in them, oh well, you know, let's just get along because as you say, it's it's something inborn. I think of Bishop Williamson saying that uh, you know, we're all liberals. It's just to what degree we've unbrainwashed ourselves, you know, because mm-hmm. of uh, of how we are in the modern age. Mm-hmm. And I think if you find yourself getting those urges or those feelings that we've talked about on today's show, the reaction shouldn't be, you know, self loathing. The reaction should be, okay, no. what can I do to correct this? I think of Lent and, you know, picking whatever one whatever one thing you want to do that year. If it means you want to be more prayerful and you add a prayer to your your daily exercises or if uh, you, you decided you want to make it a bit more naturalistic and you want to lose some weight, whatever it might be, the idea is to work on that, that one thing uh, with, with the single-mindedness. And if you notice that you're letting yourself be pulled into the American false, or I would say, the virtue of tolerance. I think that's something Americans probably consider tolerance a virtue, Your Excellency. Yes. Um, I A few years ago, I heard the uh, Declaration of Independence read on, I think, a, a PBS station early in the morning, about 5.15, I was making coffee. And I think it was the 4th of July. And uh, hearing it read, I was really struck, most of all, by the tone of grievance 
uh, against the king, he hath, and he hath, and he hath. All of these outrageous things that he's done against us free men and our liberties. We, that's an American quality. We should have that. There are lots of American qualities, positive, uh, being nice, a grievance against evil. We're going to speak up. We're not going to tolerate that. Those are those are just those are natural virtues exercised in the proper context and with due moderation, of course, and 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 for a good end or, or purpose. We let it never be said that this that the, the that the the point of this program or of anything that we say and do is to be against uh, our country. No, we have we Americans have a lot to be proud of, and we have a, a tremendous amount to offer. Uh, and the old world uh, would do well to listen to us and indeed to imitate us, I think. I think. Even as we have perverted the whole world, so too uh, we perhaps offer some some qualities that might help to save the world. Um, uh, and I've, I've, just, uh, I've just listed a few of them on the... Uh, on the on the natural level, so at, at the very least, I suppose we can be proud of America. America is a big player, right? That that, uh, and the but the revival of the church, the revival of the church after France, certainly it is America, and today it is America. The 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 the, the restoration of Catholicism, the restoration of the Catholic faith, and its maintenance in, in a living way, you won't find it it's so strong anywhere in the world as in the United States. Well, I want to take your cue there, Your Excellency, because as you say, you know, perhaps we've been beating up on America quite a bit. It hasn't been the mm-hmm. intention. I think the intention has been look to, to take a hard look at the faults. But I, I think of Our Lady, and I think about what was the point. What was the point of Our Lady of Guadalupe in, in in our in our Lord's providence was she knew what was going to happen to Europe, but she didn't want to lose more souls. And her idea was, I'm going to go to this this new land, this new country that's not known and and make sure that I convert everybody so we don't we don't lose all all the more souls than we're already gonna lose. And to look at America not as the the city on the hill, but as an instrument no. of our lady's providence. Absolutely. As I say, the, uh, if you look at our history, our, our Lady is, is the uh, proclaimed by Pius XII as the Empress of the Americas. Here on the soil of the American continent, she appears and she miraculously converts these millions of uh, Native Americans to, to take the place of the millions of Europeans lost to the faith by the different naturalistic revolutions, starting with the Protestant Revolt. Um, so... Uh, Non, in the, the words of the psalmist, non fecitaliter omni nazione, he hath not done so to every other nation, and uh, so we we have a we have a tremendous amount of American blessings that are ours, and we have something to offer, as I say, the old world, and everybody in the world. Uh, of course, we should offer very very humbly and truly in guise of reparation for uh, for all of the evil that we have produced and forced down people's throats. Uh, at, at gunpoint very often, or at money point or entertainment point. So it would it would only be just and fair for us for us to do that. But we do have a lot to give. So we will we will you will convert to democracy or we'll kill you. <laughs> yes, that's that's right. You you will convert to democracy, and you will uh, live by, where and entertain yourself like an American. 
or we'll kill you. <laughs> uh, you're actually, uh, and for those of you who are just joining us, um, we, uh, this is His Excellency Bishop Daniel Dole, and I'm Stephen Heiner. This is The Restoration on the Restoration Radio Network, our 25th show. And we're talking today about America, Catholicism, and, and the, the tie between the two from its inception to present day. And if we're talking about Our Lady of Guadalupe, you're actually, I, I go back to the question I asked you earlier. Could we, could we use um, in, Independence Day to, to commemorate the North American martyrs, Our Lady of Guadalupe, sort of a pan-American look at, and, and instead of just having it focus on the United States, that we can take an opportunity to say, well, the North American martyrs are our martyrs. They may have come from Europe, but they're ours. Isn't it? They came to what is today the, the, the United States. Um, we could. I, I don't think it's ever been done to write a really good, thorough uh, American Catholic history. Part of it is because of this idea of going along to get along uh, all, all throughout the, um, the, the years of, of, of American existence. But um, if we start to uh, study and then make known the glorious facts of American Catholic history, uh, the proto-martyr of Florida and Tampa Bay area, you know, in the 1520-something uh, like that, so very, very early, uh, the Conquistadora, Our Lady, uh, the Conqueress, uh, uh, honored in, in Santa Fe, New Mexico, still today, um, the, the 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 martyr missionaries in North America martyrs, the Spanish padres, their uh, the Franciscans, their missions in Florida, the Florida Panhandle. There, there's all this glorious American Catholic history uh, that that goes that that predates the coming of the Protestants, the Puritans, and the rest, who didn't come for religious freedom. Let it be said, who came rather because they didn't want to. It breathed the same air as anyone whom they suspected of being a papist, and uh, they would certainly <laughs> do their very best to to destroy any little tiny tiny remnants of uh, of popolatry and the rest of it and the mass and anything. No popery, no popery for them, and no and no mass indeed. That that that, that was their cry. But there's there's an American history, the origin of Thanksgiving, uh, some some. Uh, traditional Catholics go go ape about Thanksgiving, but 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 truly, all of these things. Remember, the Catholic approach is to take something uh, and uh, even something pagan and um, Christianize it to the measure possible. That was the instruction given by Saint Gregory the Great to Saint Augustine of Canterbury, the the uh, Roman monk who we sent at the head of a band of monk missionaries to convert the, uh, the Angles and the Saxons, who had recently overrun England, uh, Britain. And um, that's, that's, that's always our Catholic viewpoint. But once you start studying the history of these things, you say, well, wait a minute, actually these Thanksgiving festivals, they were first of all done by the Spanish and by the Catholics, and they featured the Mass and the Blessed Virgin. At, and then some kind of a communal feast, yes, of, uh, a way of, of, of uh, thanking Almighty God and of celebrating. So these are these ideas are all Catholic. They're all Catholic, and there's there's so much to be seen there. Yeah, I'm a bit puzzled. You actually, I, I've heard your um, I've heard your Thanksgiving sermons. Uh, they're quite good. Do you, you get pushback uh, on them? Hmm. 
Not, no, not them. As long as you don't mention the B word, I find you, you do pretty well. The B word, of course, would be Bush. King, King George the First or King George the Second. Um, that, uh, that's, uh, that's, and then, you know, obviously you, you, one is pretty much free today to, to attack, uh, Obama and the, the current administration because, um, they're the bad guys there. But once again, someone who has almost exactly the same agenda, but he's under the Republican flag, then, then, then they become sacrosanct and you mustn't, uh, you mustn't attack them, no. But that, but truly I want to insist on that, that truly is the Catholic approach. It's not, so, the for the uh, I almost said it the Independence Day celebration the barbecue there's nothing wrong with that that's good that should be done we should have patriotism we should love and remember our country and and celebrate uh, our American identity and that which uh, is not worthy of being celebrated let us reform let's cut it out let's uh, let's change it for the better we have that's part of our of our Catholic heritage we have this we have all these wonderful things that we should be giving. To um, to our American fellow citizens. That's something I wanted to say too, Stephen. That isn't it odd that even though there was at the beginning, say a man like Archbishop Hughes, who the first bishop of New York, who maybe for some was uh, was an Americanist. Um, nevertheless, he said very plainly. He told the Protestants, and this worried them. We will convert you. We will convert you. And uh, but that promise was never kept because of this go-along-to-get-along approach. Why wasn't it ever kept? Why, why didn't we make more inroads into um, truly influencing American way of life and the American government and, uh, and actually bringing the Protestants in to the faith? It was, this, it was this idea, we don't make waves. And let's be quiet about masonry and about the program of the naturalists. And even even though... Even some of the, the even some of the um, some of the clergy who were such Americanists, at the same time, uh, when it came to the faith, Hughes is a good example, were absolutely uncompromising. They wouldn't make any changes. They wouldn't water anything down. There'd be no democracy for them within the church. Um, still, there, there was never that. Oh, the modern word would be outreach to to convert. We have the truth. Why weren't we giving the truth? To them, obviously, there were some converts that were made each year, but it was nothing like what it should have been. And I think it was that it was that it was that principle that held us back. Wouldn't it be nice? Go along. Don't make don't make waves. Be grateful for the fact that you're tolerated. You know, you actually you you touched on something that I, I, I suppose I've overlooked in in making an assumption about our audience today. Um, we haven't taken the time to uh, define Americanism, I think, as specifically addressed by Leo the Thirteenth. Although I guess, suppose Leo the Thirteenth didn't specifically call it Americanism in his encyclical. But can you just briefly define Americanism? I think if you do, it will still fit in very well to the tapestry of our show today. But people may not know exactly what you mean when you say Americanism. Well, Americanism, I think, maybe we might have two definitions, and the first would obviously be that of the Holy Father of Pope Leo the Thirteenth in. Um, Longinqua Oceana. Uh, the uh, Americanism was, um, in effect, was a, um, a sampling of certain modernist uh, theological and practical propositions that the Holy Father then condemned, uh, and they were they were found 
in the um, French, uh, in the uh, preface to a French tra- translation of the life of the founder of the um, the Polish fathers, Isaac Hecker, and uh, someone translated the, this 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 man's life into uh, French, and then a preface was written, and then in this preface, so it's it's the exaltation of um, the democratic ideal in the church, the exaltation of what's called the practical uh, activist virtues. Uh, going out and, say, feeding the poor or operating schools as opposed to the so-called passive virtues, which were uh, looked looked upon as askance, uh, contemplative life, monasteries, uh, fasting, penance and prayer, silence, that sort of thing. So there, there were several of these ideas that, they, that the Pope uh, singled out and condemned as Americanism, and uh, the Americanists, uh, Cardinal Gibbons in chief, uh, said, "Oh, it's all it's all quite true, but thank God we don't practice it. And actually, there is thank you, Holy Father, but really there isn't any problem about any of that in our in our land. Um, so that's 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 the one technical definition. I'm just speaking off the cuff. And they, the other definition is." Um, maybe more of a, of a realistic historical one, that is to say, of those who so desired to be to be accepted as part of the American cultural and political scene, uh, especially priests and, and bishops, the hierarchy, that they were uh that they were more than willing not only to uh to not have national par- uh, parishes, to see the customs of the immigrants destroyed the idea that everybody who came here, all, including Catholics, had to be sort of melded into this new American man. That was that was one idea. But then, then the other idea was to I- ignore the Catholic teaching, and here it's in the same century that the popes condemned all of these revolutionary notions about liberty, ignore that and exalt the, the American uh, the American experiment, if you will, the American experience, as that that's the norm. This is how you people in the old world in Europe should get with it. You should have uh, separation of church and state. That's the, uh, that, that this is great, this works, and you should have democracy and whatever that's supposed to mean, and, and all of these freedoms. So they would wrap themselves up in that kind of an American flag and uh, uh, present themselves that way. That's that's maybe the practical or the real Americanism. And when you say that, I, you know, the person I'm thinking of who opposed that, probably at least that comes to mind immediately, would be someone like Father Coughlin, who wasn't going to necessarily go along to get along. Um, what, if you think about, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, you might say Father Coughlin did go along to get along, but if we think about who were the sort of leading light luminaries of the Catholic go-along-to-get-along movement and who fought against them. I think that might help people go back and do some reading and investigating. Well, the uh, the, the great leaders of the, of the American, of the Americanist movement amongst uh, the hierarchy uh, were um, Bishop um, Ireland, and maybe he would, maybe he'd stand out first and foremost, of of, um, of Minneapolis St. Paul, um, and uh, then there was another man whose name escapes me. He ended up being the uh, the rector of Catholic University, uh, and then they had their representatives and their agents in Rome to uh, to to work with them. So Ireland, for example, he he proposed 
that uh, the state, uh, the state schools, should be combined with Catholic schools, and that the nuns, we'd be horrified at the thought today, the nuns should take off their habits and, and teach in lay clothes during the day, and then there'd be a certain amount of there'd be an agreement at a certain at a certain time. Then it's no longer the um, uh, the state school and the same place and facility. Well, now the, now the nuns resume their habit and they teach religion to the Catholic students. That he seriously proposed that, and there was a big debate about about those things. And at the same time, as to say, he and the others did their very best to destroy. And in fact, they destroy Catholicism. That is to say, the, because Catholicism for the immigrant is always connected with the customs of the place and um, the, the language. It takes a long time for those things to die out. They've mostly died out now in, in America. And if they die out, that's not necessarily an advantage. But they wanted to see everybody thrown in, uh, lined up, marched into the melting pot, and just thrown in to, to, to come out as, as Americans. And Americans sort of like the uh, the Irish experience uh, of, uh, of of American life, parish life, without all the rich liturgy and devotions and customs that inform the life, say, of the Germans or the Poles in the old country, in which they, of course, they wanted to recreate that in the new country because that's how you that's how you practice the faith, that's how you is how you live it, that's how you 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 pass it on. So that that was that was part of the. Um, then, as usual, as usual, there are a lot. There's a lot of political maneuverings and back and forth, and uh, all the rest. Of it. And Rome attempted to be uh, attempted to be diplomatic about all of these things. But I think the result of that was that you never had an American Catholic critique of what we've been talking about today: liberty, democracy. Uh, where does that fit in to, in, in the, the the American the, the American Civil War or we didn't speak about the uh, the Spanish-American War, that you had the uh, United States uh, invading the Philippines because it was a Spanish colony and driving out all of the priests. Almost all of the native clergy were Spanish-born, Spanish-born uh, friars, religious. And the Americans drove them out. <laughs> no one ever talks about things like that. And when that happened, no one dared object because it wouldn't well, be American. I think President McKinley said that he needed to convert our, our little brown brother, um, forgetting yes. that they've been Catholic for hundreds of years. Absolutely, <laughs> sort of, sort absolutely. Of irony yeah. that they just don't get it. Um, no, they didn't get it. No one dared to raise, to raise his voice against that, or the American exportation of a, of a, of a horrible Freemason like Poinsett the American minister in, in, in Mexico who did so much damage in the way of bringing a more radical form of masonry to that country and of supporting and promoting the anti-Christian uh, revolutions that uh, that eventually formed modern Mexico and the persecution of the Catholic Church. That's yes, uh, right, with the, what you're alluding to with the Cristeros especially. Um, yes, it ended up with that. Uh, uh, I'm thinking of all the directions we could go here, but I, I suppose I have to also be respectful of your time, Your Excellency, because of the, um, we're getting close to the end of our show. And there's one other topic, and we'll, we'll probably get a request for another show uh, around this time next year to, to get into some of the topics we didn't have a chance to get into today. But I, the last thing I want to cover, um, and I think we've already spoken to it in some of what we've addressed, but I want to make sure that we're a bit more explicit about it because I think this is a problem that we have 
um, in our, you could call it our traditional Catholic parishes, in the Novus Ordo Catholic parishes, or I would say with people of goodwill out there who aren't Catholic, and if you're listening to our show, that there, um, there's this issue of voting Republican or being a registered Republican or, or what that means, and you spoke a, a bit about, you know, what does it mean to be a, an allegiant to a party. When when someone is talking to you, I think you're actually at the parish level, and it comes time for a big vote. You know, what the what do you find is the attitude of your faithful and talking about republicanism and the people, um, republicanism, sorry, the Republican Party? Are they handing out pamphlets? Are you talking about those petitions? Is there a real sort of exhortation there that you would want people to say? redirect, say, hey, why don't we all show up to Holy Hour? Uh, instead, it's, hey, make sure you all get out there on November 2nd or whenever it is and vote. Um, can you can you speak a bit about that? Can you break that down for us and help us understand that a bit better? Well, in, in our in our local church, seeing those who want to make of the um, tradition, the different traditional churches that are here in Cincinnati, sort of the, Repo- the conservative Republican Party at prayer, as it were, they're already in another church because there are other churches around that um, that very much foster that attitude. It's always amazed me. They really take it seriously. They actually believe that that's the way to do and that will do some good. And so <clears throat> they're very much involved in the pro-life movement. The pro-life movement is a great trap the enemy has set up to catch and to neutralize so many of our Catholics so that instead of praying, instead of informing yourself, the great issues of the day and what the church really teaches about them, you you feed yourself with a thin broth of um, of this naturalism that you get from the politicians and their speeches and the articles that are written, which are necessarily lowest common denominator because they're to that's, that's part of conservative American civil religion. So um, what I would do is I you know I, I try to get people to think a little bit about these things to point out. Just maybe I content myself with pointing out some of the obvious contradictions of those who claim to be anti-abortion, but then what do they do when they're finally when they're finally in office? <clears throat> the bottom line always is to say, as the old Kentucky man said, there there ain't a plum nickel's worth of difference between the Democrats and the Republicans, which is so true. It simply isn't. Not n- not in, in any 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 real world, I don't think. But but for these people, it's an act of faith. It's an act of faith, and it becomes something holy and sacred. And these are these are the great myths, or, or these are the gods that, unfortunately, our traditional Catholics hold. Yes, and it's, it, I guess unfortunate is, and and I think the pro-life movement. I think that'd be an excellent show for us to do in the future, Excellency, and talk about, you know, what that is because, oh, yes. and I don't want to get too much into it now, but there's this big sort of resistance built up to abortion, but then we don't talk about, well, how do we get here? Well, we get here through contraception. Well, yeah, yeah but we yeah. can't talk about that. You know, that's not a big tent issue. We lost that battle already, but we, we, we can hold the line at abortion. So it's like, well, mm-hmm. you've destroyed everything else that's gotten up to this point. So are you that surprised that they're, they're, they're pushing for marriage equality, quote-unquote marriage equality now? But you, you're going to hold yeah. on to this island of the pro-life movement, I think, is a total disconnect from principles and reality. So there, yeah. So my my attitude would be: Why are we wasting our time on this stuff? Let us make reparation, but let us let us go towards the path of education rather than collaboration with a system that is not the solution. The system's the problem. I'll give you another example: It's this whole gay marriage business. Well, 
America, in America, uh, marriage was homosexualized a long time ago when it be, when when contraception came into favor and when divorce came into favor. So the whole idea of marriage as a contract between a man and a woman until death, in order to in order to bring forth new life into the world, uh, that's that's gone. It's uh, it's kind of like a, a temporary play partnership, an alliance, if you will, for for emotional, uh, financial, or um, other check other reasons. That's that's why we get together. As long as it works, that's fine. And then it, when it when it stops working, then we just move on. That's that's not the natural law, but that's that's the way people live in America. So you, you've got to tell people, wait a minute, these are the real problems. And sure, these are horrible things that we're talking about today, but you can't pass a law anymore that's going to save the situation. You simply can't. Uh, there was already a terrific amount of abortion. I forget the stats, but I re- read it once, and I was astounded. There was a terrific amount of abortion in America before it was legalized. And, of course, that led to the pressure for its legalization. These are the root issues uh, these are cultural issues, and they go back to the uh, to, to the American wars, the social changes. It's all of a piece, uh, and in that sense, we can't participate in this uh, in this in, in this American way of life. Here's where we have to abstain, uh, because when we see the whole, we can't compromise ourselves. We see the whole picture. We see what the problem is. And as soon as you participate in that Democrat versus Republican system, except on the very, very most local level principle of uh, subsidiarity, uh, you're, you compromise yourself and you're wasting your time. You're, you're, you're buying into myth. You allow yourself to be manipulated. And they want to manipulate you. Of course they will. If anything, that movement has just gotten stronger and stronger now so that you know somebody – Somebody, by means of, of how you use your computer and your, your Internet access, somebody can figure out what your, uh, what your politics would be. And therefore, we can sell that information to somebody else, and then they can come to you for, uh, for support when the time comes for an election. Well, and again, I, I think I'll just have to stop us there. Actually, I was tempted to, to ask you another question, but we're at the end of our show, and our listeners have sure. been with us, those who have been with us from the beginning have been with us for a couple hours now. If you're just joining us, um, you are listening to The Restoration on Restoration Radio. Uh, this is our 25th episode. I've had the great pleasure of having His Excellency Bishop Daniel Dolan uh, with us. Uh, I'm Stephen Heiner, and we've been discussing America and Catholicism from uh, the beginning of America to present day. Um, a couple things I want to make sure I mention to our, our listeners. Uh, if you want to follow His Excellency's work and, and you want to listen to his sermons, uh, you can go to sgg.org and uh, click on the sermon archive and listen to his sermons. Uh, you can follow his work at sggresources.org, contribute to the Bishop's Fund, and contribute to other ways to help the apostolate. I, I, I think, Your Excellency, we can also um, ask for prayers uh, for uh, your brother uh, who, who recently passed. Um, oh, if you, in, your, in your charity, you might pray for, um, is it David? Dolan? David, that was my brother David. Yeah. Uh, if, if, if you could remember uh, him in your prayers, um, I think it's one of those things that sometimes we imagine that, uh, well, His Excellency is a Catholic bishop, and you know, so everyone else in his family must must totally uh, accept everything he says. 
If only it were true, right, Your Excellency? Ah, if only um, it were true. Yes, <laughs> I, I was just, I've been uh, having that same conversation with some Catholics here at in Cincinnati, but no, it's uh, by no means uh, by no means true. My most of my family has entirely lost the Catholic faith a long mm-hmm. time ago, and thus 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 the great need for prayers. Um, yes, indeed. And we appreciate your prayers here at Restoration Radio. If you'd like to contribute to our work, you can go to truerestoration.org. We've installed a donate button there at the bottom of the page. So if, if this show is worth a dollar to you, uh, donate a dollar. If it was $5, $10, just remember that if, if only a small percentage of our thousands of listeners, and we have four or 5,000 listeners still with every broadcast we do, if only a small percentage donated, uh, you know, we'd be able to produce even more shows and bring on more guests. And so think about that. And uh, back to our theme today, you be that 10% instead of expecting someone else to be that 10%, or 1% as it might be, the remnants uh, that that will be there. Your Excellency, thank you so much for your time, and um, I wish you a happy Independence Day uh, next week, and I hope that you will enjoy it and celebrate it with um, your parishioners. And I hope that they'll, they'll get some enlightenment as to how to better celebrate it. Um, thank you. Thank you. I'll, I'll certainly do, do do my best, and I appreciate your your prayers. And I appreciate the the, the possibility of these these. Uh, this is the twenty fifth show, and let's say let's say uh, a word that we should pray for this apostolate. It's, it's a wonderful it's a wonderful opportunity. It's traditional Catholicism at its best. We use the most modern means at our disposal, in order not to produce something that's old-fashioned or traditionalist, no, but simply to get the truth, the Catholic truth that doesn't change, to get that out to people, to, to souls. Well, again, that's very gracious, Jack. We thank you for the plug, and um, we'll leave our listening audience with another John, uh, with another Sousa March, um, Stars and Stripes Forever. Thanks again, Your Excellency. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you.
This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.